joy to be with you again. Maybe I should have said g'day, but um, that's too, uh, to be expected. Um, it's a great, it is a great privilege to be able to come, keep coming back to America, unlike Greg, who's been to Australia once and they won't let him come back. Um, but uh, I'm allowed to keep coming back, so that tells you something. Um, let me just get my little tool going. Good. Um, I'm going to look at the passage from 1 Corinthians 10, 31 to 11, 1, under this title, Just for Pleasure, which I hope will make sense in a while. Um, typically, oh, there we go, it's working. My friends, it's a tradition that in many harbours you'll read this sign. Ships in harbour are safe, but that's not why ships were made. Now, living in a hurricane part of the world, you know that even in a harbour, in a hurricane, ships are not safe. But generally speaking, the statement works, that when ships are in harbour, they're in a safe place. But on the open waters, where they're designed to go, not always so safe. Let me just tweak those words a little bit. Christians in church are safe. How come everything works so perfectly? There you go. Now it's not working as it was designed. We'll see how we go. Uh, Christians in church are safe, but that's not why they were created. We were made to radiate the glory of God to the world. Why? So that the world, with all its rich and diverse cultures, might experience God's glories, warmth and light and truth. Putting this in mariner terms, we are called by God, as this picture shows, to sail into the oceans, into the seas, the lakes, the rivers, uh, the inter-water watercourses, the billabongs of life as we have in Australia. Waterways that are sometimes beset by the immobilising calms of suffering, of depression, of sickness and accident, of guilt and unemployment, unwanted pregnancy, despair and grief. There are people in the world who, as it were, are immobilised in life because of their experiences of life at this stage. And they need believers to come and sail along and support them. But at other times, as we know, the waterways can be whipped up and become very violent. A violence that is dangerous A violence that comes maybe from abuse or alcoholism, from drugs and uncontrolled anger, from children going off the rails and and causing us great grief and angst, and come from work pressures and financial crises and the like. There are people who live in a world of violence from all sorts of sources. And they too need people to sail alongside of them to bring the hope of the gospel. Of course, there are other periods, and those who are sailors will love these occasions, when life seems just great. The pleasant and bewitching breezes of materialism, self-sufficiency, false religious foundations and physical well-being waft gently across people's bows and they sail along unhindered by any dramas and thinking life is great. But at any moment, their lives could fall apart. Because without Jesus, these people still, even though they may not appear to, need us to sail alongside and befriend and bring the gospel of Christ. Onto these seas, the church and Christians are to sail. We are to be a people who show and tell the gospel. 
whatever the situation, the urgent and eternal gospel. To share with those who are on the brink of shipwreck, whether they know it or not, that God is the creator of land and sea and that he cares and calls all people to follow him. We declare that in God's son, Jesus Christ, godless people can discover God. In a confusing religious marketplace, they can find divine truth. In a culture slow to forgive, people can receive the generous divine forgiveness that comes through Christ. In a society offering only conditional love, people can actually experience the unconditional divine love that flows out from the cross of Christ. And in a frantic, restless world, people can find a sure hope of divine, eternal rest. Yet, for too many, Christians are content to simply paddle in the sheltered harbours of Christian fellowship rather than face the trials and challenges of gospeling on the unpredictable waterways of society. We need motivation to rekindle both our spirit of adventure for sailing on the waters of life and we need motivation to have compassion for those who sail out on those waters, out of control really, without God as their rudder and centre. So it is my desire that the wind of the Spirit himself may blow through Paul's inspired words from 1 Corinthians 10, 31 to 11, 1 this morning, so that we will be willing to weigh anchor and use all of our resources and to set sail, looking out for those people who are in need, which is everyone without Jesus at the centre. Now, in this particular text, Paul is summarising three chapters of 1 Corinthians, chapter 8, 9 and 10. Paul has been seeking to address um, a big issue for the first century world. It's not an issue that we face, but it was about eating food offered to idols. You see, it was impossible in the first century to go to the market and buy meat that had not already been offered as a sacrifice to pagan gods. And the question is raised, if you eat that meat, are you not participating in the worship of demonic worship? Because demons stand behind false worship. And so the issue was, can you eat or can't you eat? And Paul's been addressing that by showing how he operates in life, in building bridges to people who are caught up in this pagan world. And he's been explaining those, his driving operational principles, priorities and passions. He argues that all Christians, though, are to take these on board because they can transform us from landlubbers to gospel sailors of courage and compassion. We shall see that gospel ministry, according to this word, is done just for pleasure. For the pleasure of God, for the pleasure of others, and for the pleasure of Jesus Christ himself. Well, let's look at each of those in turn. Firstly, then, for the pleasure of God. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Here is the central purpose of our existence, to glorify God and to do so continuously. 
In essence, this means that we wear our relationship with God on our sleeve. Uh, What we believe internally, we actually let it seep out so that we live it out. To use the mariner's image again, we ought to tie our colours to the mast. Our spinnaker that declares we belong to Jesus needs to be unfurled. Now you know that Greg Crons wears his colours on his sleeve. (laughs) Now you'll be pleased to know that he also does love Jesus. Um, No, he does love Jesus more than the Steelers. (laughs) Some parents uh, put T-shirts on their children declaring their colours, don't they? If you think I'm cute, check out my mum. I hope the father bought that T-shirt and not the mum. That would be a bit of an ego push, wouldn't it? See, the desire to glorify God in everything is a mental commitment, an attitude of the heart which shows outwardly. Now, a wise parent that takes, or grandparent that takes their children to Disney World or Disneyland, if they are wise, they will go to the end of the ride and look at what the people look like when they're getting off the ride <laughs> than they do before they get on the ride. Why? Well, because despite what Disney says, where the magic begins, the terror can also begin. You see, what people look like when they get off a ride, they they show where they have been and what they've experienced. My friends, what does your life and my life radiate about where we have been and who we have been with? And how do we do this? Well, we will radiate God's glory when we spend time in his presence, praying and listening to his word meeting with his people. Some time ago, when I was reading Psalm 86, I finally saw a verse that I'd read hundreds of times, but it just jumped out at me on this occasion. God was grabbing my attention. It's a wonderful prayer. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. When you stand close to an open fire and then walk away, the heat radiates off you. But to keep warm, you have to keep returning to the fire. We need to keep always returning to the word. Keep sitting under its truths. It's wonderful that Greg is preaching on the Ten Commandments. He's done it before in his 30-odd years he's been here. But it's good to return to biblical foundational truths to be refed and reconnected with God in the way that we ought to be. We need to do that all the time in our own devotions and life so that we will radiate who God is. To stay away is to lose the heat. So what is it that brings glory to God? Is what we do and how we do it? In essence, we could say we are to be image bearers. Image bearers in everything. True reflections of Christ. But why in this passage does Paul make such a fuss about mundane activities like eating and drinking? Well, it's for him a gospel issue. It's an eternal issue. 
It has to do with human relationships and the Christian's ability to impact others positively or negatively for the gospel in the way in which they participate. Notice verse 32 of chapter 10, he says, Give no offence to anybody, no offence to the world. Now, what are the issues for us? Certainly, it's not meat offered to idols. Well, it could be the language we use, the fashions we wear, whether we are modest or immodest, the entertainment we engage in, which might be health-building or health-denying, alcohol, the amount and how we drink and how it impacts us. But in particular today, I'd like to especially stress how we use and talk about our money and our possessions because materialism, and when you live in Hilton Head Island or where we live where in Australia where we, we are fairly wealthy nations, how do people think about us? How do we talk about our money and our possessions? Is it obvious that we are a generous people or a greedy people? Are we contributors to or collectors from what happens at church? Are we tithers or tight-fisted? How would God look at our heart? How do you look at what you have? Is it God's or is it yours? And God gets the bit you're willing to give him. Paul has early argued that Christians are completely free on a whole host of issues We're not bound to human regulations or prohibitions concerning food and drink or even money for that matter. But our freedom is not a right to be claimed but a privilege and responsibility to be given up for the sake of others and for the glory and wishes of God. So earlier in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul has written, everything is permissible but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. This is especially true, I think, actually, of our, in our context of our material possessions. Jesus said, you cannot serve God and mammon. If money is at the centre of your life, well, then God won't be. If God's at the centre of your life, that will shape how you handle your money and your resources for gospel work. How would God have you use all the good things in his world, not least our worldly possessions, our homes and our bank balances? The answer in this text is, in a way which brings him glory and therefore pleasure. What is that way? Again, the answer comes, it is the way that benefits others and builds relationships. It's a way in which demonstrates with absolute clarity that people Lost people matter to God and therefore they matter to us. You see, in the scriptures, a passion for God should overflow logically in a compassion for people. You see, people of an undivided heart from Psalm 86 will have an undivided heart that's aligned with God's heart. He has passion for people. We therefore have compassion for people. This leads naturally to our second motivation for weighing anchor and setting sail. The first, for the pleasure of God, we are to be image bearers. The second, for the pleasure of others, we are to be servants. 
Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the Church of God, even as I try to please everybody in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, that they may be saved. What a contrast to the prevailing attitude of society. You see, we live in a world where anything goes and nothing and nobody matters but me. That's the way the world is. It's all about me and our life and what we want to do. Servanthood isn't popular in the world, but it certainly is in Jesus' thinking. In 1960, uh, my parents packed up their three boys and put us on a boat and we migrated from the UK to Australia. My parents said goodbye to all of their friends, all of their family, left a career and a business behind to go to a strange land. And when I grew up and asked my dad, why did they choose to do that? They said it was for you boys. We really felt that you would have a better life and a better opportunities in Australia. And they were certainly correct. That was a huge servant act on behalf of my parents, to act on behalf of their children. And we are so blessed that they did so. But what the scriptures call us to is it raises the bar that we don't just do this for family. We have to do this for every person outside of the kingdom and everyone in the kingdom as well. The bar is raised so high. But this is the model for us. Why? Because people, lost people, matter to God. They're his special creation. Rebellious, yes, but his precious creation, no less. More precious than our denominational traditions or personal preferences. Churches can spend a huge amount of time arguing fine points of doctrine or styles of music or the colour of the church carpet. We can argue these things forever and ever and ever. We have a conscience about them, we say. But I'm looking for people who have a conscience for lost people who are outside the building. They're the ones that Christ died for. Well, he died for us too, we know that, but we've already found it. There are those outside who have not. See what Paul says in verse 33. I try to please everyone in every way. The Lord effectively declares that you and I are to make every effort to use all our resources, our testimonies, our time, our talents and our treasures to create an environment which will foster relationships and spiritual development, not create tensions and slam doors in others' faces. We have a gospel of reconciliation, not alienation. A message which makes friends, not enemies. There you go, what's happened? There we go, oops. It's just slow, there we go. There's the T-shirt, build bridges, not barriers. That's what we do. We want to build bridges to people, not compromising the gospel. These bridges have to be bridges of truth, not falsehood, because a false bridge will collapse. No, we don't want to raise barriers for the gospel that we are giving a message that we are holier than those outside. We're not. We're just forgiven. That's why we're here, because we know we need Jesus. We want to be where he is, and he says he's amongst us when we gather. 
But we want to build bridges so people can cross in and join us in worshipping Jesus. So we do not cause anyone to stumble. That's to stumble spiritually, whether they be Jews, Greeks, or the Church of God. And in the first century world, that meant everybody. Christians are to take into account all categories of people. Effectively, this is two groups, unbelievers and believers. And this is a huge challenge. All the time, we're to be looking around us for how we can most effectively build bridges of friendship. It includes language. When my wife and I came to Pittsburgh to live in 19, late 1989, we were getting to know people, but we hadn't quite learned all the ins and outs of uh, Pittsburghese and American language. We still spoke Aussie. And on one occasion, I was outside uh, the front of the house and it was getting a bit cool. The sun was going down. And I thought, I'd better go in and put a jumper on. I wondered why the people looked at me quite strangely, wondering what I'd be wearing when I came back out of the house. Of course, I had a sweater on, translating, not a lady's dress on. Um, We have takeaway in Australia. How often did we get caught up in those first few days when we went to go and buy takeaway and the person at the counter would say, takeaway? Finally, we worked out it was takeout. I couldn't work out why you couldn't make that connection, but they couldn't, and we were getting it wrong. We don't have trunks, we have boots. That's not something you wear on your feet, it's the back of a car. See, about language, when you come to another culture, you have to do all of those nuances of language. What the scriptures call us to as Christians is to do the same with those outside the church. Be working hard, not compromising the truth of the gospel or the language or morality, but building bridges with people, bridges of truth. They might hear the message of Christ. So listen to what Paul says earlier in this this context. Though I am free and belong to no person, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Now in the South, talking about slavery is not a word you want to talk about, is it? has some very negative connotations, but Paul embraces that. He'll take on that language, be a slave to people. Why all this concern for people who may not give a fig about us, they don't care about us, in fact, they might even criticise us? Well, we're told very clearly in this text, it's so that they might be saved, verse 33. And we mustn't lose this sight of this. Paul says people in a position of desperate need. That's how he sees them. We can become so very self-righteous. Why is it, my friends, that we are so often surprised when non-Christians act like non-Christians? But we are. We too often go tut, tut, tut instead of pray, pray, pray. Instead of saying the only solution to the damage the world is, a world Um, The world of philosophy is producing where they've excluded God. The only damage is to them. We know the foundations. We know that one day Jesus will laugh them to scorn, Psalm 2. And so we want them to know this Jesus so they will not be judged but rather saved and rescued. They need to hear the wonderful message that Christianity is the best way to live. And the only way to die. 
Christianity, the best way to live. Your series on the Ten Commandments will show you that. And the only way to die, because only Christ can give you hope, the hope of glory. My friends, if you're here this morning and you have yet to embrace that truth, can I urge you to do so? Speak to Greg, speak to myself, speak to other members of staff, speak to Steve, to Kathy, or to anybody you know who's a believer. Don't leave this church without knowing this truth. It may be at the moment what you're doing, you're coming to church and you're like going to the beach and in a cooler climate and you put your feet in, you wade to the edge of the beach but you don't launch yourself into the deep. Well, let's launch yourself into the deep of faith in Christ today. Don't stop wading, stop paddling on the fringes of truth. You can throw yourself into Jesus and trust him. He will not disappoint And if you're already a believer, can I encourage you to be Christians who are sermons in shoes? That the way you speak and the way you live testifies to the truth of Christ. A story of a missionary lady who had come back from the mission field and she knew a lady in her community, a retirement community, that she wanted to lead to Jesus who was fairly antagonistic. And she had already discovered that this lady loved Um, language stuff and um, English is a second language material. She was very interested in that so she found a Christian book that addressed this issue and she took the book along and knocked on the lady's door and said I've got a lovely book for you and the lady said stop desist I don't want to read any books, I don't want to go to any church, I don't want to go to any Bible studies I'm watching you and then I'll make my decision about Jesus As the missionary walked away from the house with a book still under her arm, she said to herself, nothing she said could have scared me more. (laughs) That I was a sermon in shoes. My friends, every one of you are. Your neighbours are not fools. They know you get up on a Sunday morning, you leave for a little while and you probably come back after lunch or soon after church. And they work out you're a Christian and they're watching you. How you speak to each other in your marriages, how you relate, how you drive. How you speak about how to handle your finances. How you treat or speak about other neighbours. Everything you do is building a bridge or a barrier. A bridge of truth or a barrier. So my friends, we live for the pleasure of God as image bearers. We live for the pleasure of others as servants. But these are two sides of the same coin, a coin which Paul and Jesus carried and displayed in such a way that they are role models for us. And though this brings me to my final point, we, um, we live for the pleasure of Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, writes Paul. To imitate someone could be the greatest form of praise or embarrassment, can't it? Uh, My best man at my wedding, his name is David Hall, told me how um, on on one occasion he was driving his car and my godson, Matthew, was in the back, fairly young tyke but very verbal, and he heard in the background his son saying, get out of the road, you fool, Hong Kong, get away, you're a stupid idiot, what a fool you are, you don't know how to drive. And my friend David Hall said, I realised I was listening to myself. 
Imitation can be the greatest form of embarrassment. <laughs> but my friends, imitating Jesus, you will never be embarrassed in the halls of glory and heaven. There's no embarrassment with God if you live the way he intends you to live. Even though the world may laugh at you, Jesus will not. He is our model. There is no way that we could bring our Lord Jesus greater pleasure than to follow his example. You see, Jesus was the gold medalist in the Olympics of glorifying God by serving the lost. He scores a 10 on every apparatus, life, preaching, heart of compassion, cross, empty tomb. So study Jesus. Sign up for a lifetime of apprenticeship with Jesus as your coach. It won't always be easy. It's costly. Uh, a friend of mine who lives in Columbia, uh, Columbus, um, tells the story of how when he went fishing with his dad and his other brother, they, his dad was very wise. He put one boy on one end of the boat and one at the other. Give them a nice, fat, juicy worm and then set them off fishing. On one occasion he said, um, my brother was catching fish and I didn't catch anything. And after about half an hour, my father came and said, son, show me that worm I gave you. Suspicious that I had not done what he told me to do. And I, he said, I pulled out the fat, juicy worm. And I said, I didn't want to kill the worm. And he said, my father said something that's taught me most about Christian evangelism than I've ever learned in any other way. He said, unless the worm dies, you don't catch any fish. Unless the worm dies, you don't catch any fish. It's until we die to self, until we are willing to do that, we will not reach people for Jesus. We'll not be fishers of men unless we're willing to deny ourselves, to willing to die to self. That's what Jesus taught. It's a challenge, isn't it? The bar is raised very high. Jesus must increase, we must decrease. We always know where the credit goes. We really do have to work on closing our credibility gaps so that what we say we believe, we're actually putting into practice. We close the gap between how we live and what we believe so they're more and more aligned. So what are we to be full of? Simply this. We're to put, be full of Jesus' principles, priorities and passions, which he summarised in such statements as was read this morning from Luke's Gospel. I came to seek and to save the lost. And from uh, Mark 10, 45. Uh, it should be there. There it is. I came not to be served but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Generosity, not greed, marked Jesus' life at every turn. He sacrificed everything for us. The principles explained here are not just for apostles or leaders. They're generic, Christ-like lifestyle values. And so let me conclude by bringing everything together. The society in which we live needs to be saved. It needs men, women, teenagers and children who in every encounter and in every personal habit 
will wholeheartedly live to please God, to please others and to please Jesus Christ. We want Christian yachts who will weigh anchor, set sail, raise their Christ-proclaiming spinnakers to leave safe harbour, to pay the price of entering what for many of us will be uncharted waters. Remembering that doing something for pleasure doesn't always mean it's easy and without pain or hardship. For example, the gym, giving birth to a child, running a marathon. You might enjoy doing it, but it nearly kills you. Watching me play golf. (laughs) Ask Greg. No, don't ask Greg. He'll tell the truth and it's pretty embarrassing. So will you and I be doers of the word or hearers only? Will we share Jesus with people just for pleasure? For the pleasure of God, will we be image bearers? For the pleasure of others, Will we be servants? For the pleasure of Jesus, will we be imitators? My friends, ships in harbour are safe, but that's not why ships were made. My brothers and sisters in Christ, please let us remember that Christians in church are safe, but that's not why we were made. We were made to go into the world I'm sure you remember the scene and the story of Titanic. There were 22 boats, lifeboats with people in them and still room for more. There were people in the icy waters of the Atlantic freezing to death and about to die and were calling out for help. Only one of the 22 boats went to get more people and I think they saved about six more people. Let us be the people who row out into the world to reach people for Jesus. Let us put into practice what the scriptures teach us. So I want you to read these words with me. Let's say them to each other, to encourage each other, to put them into practice. So let's read them together. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, 11, 1, together. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble whether Jews, Greeks, or the Church of God, even as I try to please everybody in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Let's follow Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's so clear that you call us to reach out to other people. We read of Paul and we know Jesus and we think the standard's too high. God couldn't possibly expect us to want to follow that example. It's just too, too difficult. And yet that's exactly what you call us to. But fortunately, you do not leave us alone. Uh, Your Holy Spirit has been given to us, the very same Spirit that was in Jesus. And so we pray you'll help us to keep allowing you to shape and fashion who we are so that we are bridge builders of truth to the world and not barrier builders. Help us to do this for your glory and for your honour. 
for your pleasure. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.